Hi, this is Tom from the Happiness Quotient. Thank you for dropping by. You are one of my favorite listeners because if you're listening to this episode, you're hearing it before we changed our name to the Happiness Quotient. Just so you won't be surprised when you listen, you'll hear me talk about Baker Street with Tom Pollard. Believe me, you are in the right place. We've changed our name, but the excellence of the podcast just keeps getting better. Before we get to the episode, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe wherever you're listening, and I hope you'll visit my Patreon page for exclusive content at patreon.com slash thehappinessquotient, and take a look at my YouTube page of the same name, where there are many Everest and music-related episodes, adventure-related podcast elements that can't be found here on the podcast itself. Thanks for being here. If you like what you hear, be sure to leave me a review, a rating, and share it with someone you care about. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Baker Street. This is Tom Pollard, your host, and it's taken me some time to come up with the right words for today's episode. I think some of you can learn something from today about the things I'm about to say, and some might think that I have a lot to learn as well, In that I'm sure is true. But I had to say something, and it had to come from me, not from any societal pressure to show how much we or I care, not because if I didn't say something, it would look like I was ambiguous to the events that have been taking place in the United States with the protests going on. Because there seemed to be a certain pressure on social media, Instagram and the like, that in not saying something, it meant that we did not care. But I waited nonetheless. I didn't put a black square up on my Instagram or Facebook. I didn't do hashtags BLM or Black Lives Matter, which is no indication whatsoever that those were not things I was interested in, because I am very much so. Right now we're listening to a chorus of bees outside of my home in New Hampshire. Dozens, probably hundreds and hundreds of bees of every imaginable type. Bumblebees, honeybees, wasps, yellow jackets, uh, bees that I don't really even recognize. Other bugs, little beetles teeming over this small field of lovely smelling white flowers that look a lot like Queen Anne's lace, but but they're not. They're shorter, and, and when you crush the leaves, the greenery underneath these flowers in, in your fingers, it smells like licorice, black licorice. It's a beautiful place to stand, other than the voracious black flies that also seem to be hunting nearby, because the smell is lovely and the sound of the bees is captivating. And I thought it appropriate to have the sound of nature, the sound of all different species of, of bees and bug working together on this field of gorgeous smelling flowers. 
It's been hard to act other than to know that I can't remain silent any longer. You have to have been living in a cave not to know about the unrest in the United States, particularly catalyzed by the death at the hands of four police officers of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a black man who had just been pulled over about a week ago on Memorial Day. I've been unable to put into words the feeling I had when I began to watch that video. And I, I'm going to admit to you right now, I did not have the temerity, the, the, the intestinal fortitude to continue watching. And I feel like I probably need to, but I, I understood what was happening there, and it's very disturbing. And for the purposes of this episode, I won't even try other than to say his death was absolutely and patently senseless. I won't try to put into words what it was I felt and what the nation felt, what black people felt, and what white people who, like me, for his or her entire lives, have remained relatively silent. And I never thought until this event that silence, to an extent, is, is partial complicity in the things that are going on in our world, especially our nation today, highlighting this incredible racial divide we have in a way that I truly don't understand. Because I grew up a white kid in a mostly white neighborhood in Western Massachusetts, I guess I came to a place where I felt that if I spoke up about the injustices that I had witnessed, that it would come off as disingenuous, that I was jumping on the bandwagon to look like I care. Black lives matter. Well, they do, of course, absolutely. But when I said it or when I thought about saying it with this event, it became much more real to me. I mean, seriously, what the hell do I know about being treated as an inferior other than I can say it in a just a tiny molecular level experience of that, traveling through different countries of the world, last year notably in Tibet. My team, my Mount Everest expedition team and I, we stopped in a city, a small city, on our way back from Tibet, driving home to Kathmandu. And, you know, a lot of white people like me drive through on their way to Mount Everest expeditions or trekking near Mount Everest. But because of a road washout somewhere down the road a little ways, we were stuck for the night. And so we loaded our gear into this hotel that literally opened up just for us. There was dust on the on the counters, a half inch deep. And we made ourselves comfortable and then went out for a walk. And people stopped to stare. It was as if we were aliens to them. You know, all these Tibetans and Chinese of, uh, you know, yellower colored skin. And here we are, these, these mostly white guys with our team of Sherpa there. And they, they stared. And the young kids especially came real close to look into our eyes, to, 
to observe us, following us as we ambled down the street. And we smiled back and photographed them, laughed with them, shook hands with them. And even this one group of children who had been coming home from school and had just stopped to buy candy from a tiny little shop where a couple of our teammates, Jim and Matt, went in and actually paid for all the candy that these kids got. You know, the dentist probably... Hopefully, there's a dentist in that village. They came out; these kids came out with bucket loads of candy, and then they, in turn, offered us pieces of candy back as a show of friendship to us. And I know that was different. I know it's not that way for a black man who walks through a white neighborhood in the United States, in the South, or or in a in a more hostile city, or in the case of Ahmad Arbery, the young black man. Uh, some months ago who went out for a run, literally hunted down by a father and son team, killed just for being a black man passing through a white neighborhood. I don't understand that because it's never been me. Well, I have to admit, so the, the change for me came on the day that our president taunted a crowd of protesters outside the White House at which time, around 5.30, 6 o'clock, the police violently forced these peaceful protesters back with tear gas and rubber bullets, pushing them back so that the president could have a clear path to walk down through Lafayette Square, to stand in front of St. John's Church, to hold up a book he obviously rarely holds in his hands, ever, a book known as the Bible. My son and I were watching it live, and I became outraged. I was absolutely off the charts outraged, yelling, probably scaring my son, professing loudly that that was it. I was done being silent. I'd begin talking. I was done standing idly by watching as the world revolved around me. Nietzsche was a... 19th century philosopher, I've talked about him before here. He said that in Demagogy and Self-Deception in the book Human All Too Human, he says, in all great deceivers, there occurs a noteworthy process to which they owe their power. In the actual act of deception among all the preparations, the horror in the voice, expression, gestures, amid the striking scenery, the belief in themselves overcomes them. That's our president. It is this that speaks so miraculously and convincingly to the onlookers. The founders of religions are distinguished from those other great deceivers by the fact that they do not come out of this condition of self-deception, or infrequently, they do have those clearer moments when doubt overwhelms them, but they usually comfort themselves by fostering these clearer moments off on the evil adversary. Get it? Self-deception, he goes on to say, must be present so that both kinds of deceivers can have a grand effect. For men will believe something is true if it is evident that others believe in it firmly. That's what 
I have been watching happen today as our democracy slips away into a place leaning toward totalitarianism, toward demagogy, with a leader who believes he can claim the power of our military to push back the citizens who protest otherwise. I'm not going to go on too long today. I'm almost done. I'm not going to play you music, not even to bring in an interview. But I will say that a friend of mine on Facebook posted a photograph of Trump standing in front of the church with this Bible in his hand. So if any of you are familiar with this image of the president holding this Bible up, looking stern and tough, and if you did watch it live, you could hear a reporter ask, is that your Bible? And he looked at the reporter and said, it's a Bible. I won't become sanctimonious like him. Anyway, in the background of this shot, the, the front of the parish, it lists the, the, the sermon that's going to be said and the name of the pastor. And somebody photoshopped a quote of our president's and we know it's a quote because we've heard it on audio before he was elected president. And the quote said, and it's crude and rude, but I'm going to read it because it needs to be heard. It says, I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. Just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Grab them by the pussy. And so, yeah, a little much maybe, would you say? that somebody would Photoshop that onto the photo of Donald J. Trump. But on my friend's Facebook page, a friend of hers, who also grew up in the same town that I grew up in, said, you hit below the belt, you're part of the problem, by posting that. And so my friend said, I absolutely hands down do not agree. And so I watched as literally more than a dozen people chimed in. And this is what blurted out of me. And I wrote this down on her Facebook page, and I will post it on my Facebook and Instagram page soon. I wrote, part of the problem is not speaking up. This meme is merely a statement about the utter and disgusting irony of the most powerful man in the modern world holding up a Bible to justify his absurd and violent actions, as if God has handpicked him to be the keeper of his 300-plus million minions. The horrors of the totalitarian state lay at the feet of its citizens. In Nazi Germany before World War II began, no one spoke when the Jews were cordoned tightly into confined neighborhoods, better known as ghettos. The key words here are no one spoke. Now, if we resort to angry taunts that come from a place of hatred and fear and conversely become super sensitive to the voices of those who wish to not stand silently by, we are doomed to repeat history. It is not far-fetched in any respect whatsoever to see where our nation can spiral toward an authoritarian state such as Venezuela or worse. Mid-1900s Germany, Soviet Union, and China alone accounted for the extermination of what has been estimated to be hundreds of millions of people, people who died because they were Jews or gay or black or because they used their voices. 
if we are offended by a meme that exposes a simple truth about the vacuous shell of a man who used a Bible to justify firing tear gas at peaceful protesters, get thee behind me. For those who understand, keep speaking up, unfriend, or silence from the impartiality of your level thinking the negative energies of those who assist in the besmirching of 240 years of democracy. People, I'm done not talking, but I will say, and this is my one profession of the day, you've listened to me for long enough, this is going to be about coming together, not about pointing angry fingers, not about talking about this man who is grabbing at demagogy or authoritarian leadership, who is trying to change and tear down our democracy for the purposes of his own power. This podcast is about coming together and working with people and understanding each other. I am telling you right now, I do not understand what it is like to be a black man or woman in this country today, but I will endeavor to do so. And I will endeavor to listen and share those voices here on Baker Street with Tom Pollard. I hope you will feel free to reach out to me and tell me if you think I am full of shit or if you believe in what I'm saying, share this widely, everywhere. Let people know that we are here together, coming together from a positive place in a democracy where it is a place that we should be free to speak and grow and weed out the ills of our society. I will be back very soon with another episode of Baker Street with Tom Pollard. I will see you real soon. If you're still here, thank you for visiting. I hope you'll take a moment to subscribe wherever you're listening, and I hope you'll also visit my Patreon page for exclusive content at patreon.com slash thehappinessquotient, and take a look at my YouTube page of the same name, where there are many Everest and music-related episodes as well as adventure content and interview snippets that can't be found here on the podcast. Thank you for being here. I hope you'll share this, leave me a review, a rating, and come back soon.